Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. It's the breakdown. Jamali Maddox with the hook uh do you know what i need to uh shout out cool keith for doing the intro music on that that is some dope shit like i was uh they asked me so who do you want to do the intro and i said cool keith and i didn't think he would do it but uh <laughs> he, he did so uh that's that's the intro i like you know he's rapping about i've got bionic arms which is this dope as fuck um but yeah um today on the podcast i've got Stuart lee coming down uh if you don't know Stuart lee you need to get to know he's um I mean, you know, he doesn't like it being said to him, but he's a, a very influential comedian. Um, I remember I, I've been watching his stuff for, since I was, before I was doing comedy, since I was maybe about 15, I've been watching his stuff. And uh, we have a we have a good chat, and uh, I'm really looking forward to him coming down. I know he doesn't really do a lot of interviews, so the fact he said he would do my uh, podcast, which is uh, crazy. It's a weird feeling doing this. Um, what's been going on with me recently? I filmed uh, Live with Apollo yesterday, uh, and it went fine. I didn't get booed off. Uh, was on the tour. I was in uh, Latvia, Estonia, Finland, and Norway. Uh, Oslo has become my new favorite city. I've put that up. I'm putting it out there. Oslo has become my new favorite city. The women are beautiful. Everyone goes, oh, you, the women are so beautiful. And you go, I'll be the judge of that. And you go there and it's like, you know, the type of beautiful women that make it, you know, you speak to me, you start stuttering. It was great. I uh, really enjoyed it out there. Had some fun shows. Um, and I'm going to be on tour. And I'm on tour currently. I don't know when this is going out, but I'll still be on tour when this goes out. Um, so go to my website, www.jamalimaddox.com. Uh, go on my Instagram, Jamali Maddox. On my Twitter, Jamali Maddox. Ooh, Jamali Maddox. And um, yeah, come come, come, catch me on fucking tour. So I can pay some bills. What shit to pay for? You know? So uh, yeah, and this is uh, the podcast. I'm going to stop rambling now. I've been rambling too much. People will probably skip this. Um, so yeah, um, come see me on tour, and I'm introducing now Stuart Lee. Jamal, how you doing, man? Thanks right, for coming. Right. Thanks for having us. I really appreciate it because uh, when when I heard that you said you'd do it, man, it was a it was a it was a great moment. Oh, cheers! I really appreciate because I'm a bit this. Uh, I've, I've I've been watching your work for a long time. Right. Well, I'm very old. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. I do. I remember the first time I I heard about you. Uh, I must have been about fourteen, and it was the it was the channel for hundred greatest comedians. Ah, right. And you came up on the list. And I for- remember, like, I had watched and I was yeah. watching, and that's where I found out about Bill Hicks. Right. And that's kind of what made me want to do comedy. That's when I started 
uh, thinking about doing comedy. So I, remember, I must have been about 14s before I did any sets. Yeah. And uh, and I remember watching, and then, then you did your special. Yeah. I saw it. I think it was, was it called 40? 40 41st best stand up ever. Yeah, well, stand up. I, for the, I mean, I was really surprised to be on that list at all at the time because there was loads of brilliant people on it. And also, I hadn't. There wasn't much stuff of mine that you could see. I hadn't uh, done a lot of stand-up on telly, so I was—I I, I don't, I don't know who voted for it. So I was really surprised to be on it and pleased, and also it was a, a huge help. But also, I thought the the best thing for the character to do, you know, would be to think forty-one was just <laughs> what is that? It's like yeah, nothing. Yeah, is it? yeah, it's yeah, not. Yeah. It's not in the top ten. It's not it, forty-one. Forty-one seemed like a really funny position to be at in, yeah, a, in a list yeah, yeah. of things. So I called the next tour "41st Best Stand-Up Ever," which was a sort of way of having your cake and eating it. On the one hand, it's taking the piss out of the whole idea, and been like being forty-first is you could come to this. But remember, there are forty better options. <laughs> but also, it was sort of a thing of way of going. Oh, you know what? I'm I'm in the top fifty. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, it was um, it was it was weird though. I was really surprised. I didn't really have any idea that I would have got beyond being liked by sort of broadsheet newspaper critics. So, Cause, I mean, because at that because I, you, you, so I was young at that point, at that point you were just mostly doing the Edinburgh Fringes? Yeah, I done, I did, um, well I did. I you had did. left the club at that point, that point? Yeah, I mean I started doing stand-up in about 88, 89, and um, I, I did circuit gigs kind of five nights a week through the 90s. Uh-huh. I was in a double act which wrote for radio with Richard Herring. Yeah, yeah. And we did four series for uh, BBC Two that were, that kept sort of getting they kept getting recommissioned but they never really tipped over into being critical or ratings <laughs> hits although actually the ratings by today's standards would have been really high you yeah, know yeah, yeah. Um, the problem with those was we'd get paid for them and then Avalon would put us out on tour and we'd lose all the money we'd earned <laughs> from the thing so it kind of at the end of it I yeah. remember the four, the series got cancelled and there was um, there was an option to to what are we going to do next and the weird thing was we couldn't really afford to do anything because yeah, the yeah. Avalon model for touring meant you'd lost money yeah, all the yeah, time yeah, yeah. so uh, so that sort of just driveled out really and then luckily I'd kind of I'd always been doing stand-up all the way through it and so that kind of got moving again for me um, which suddenly seemed like the, the best way of doing anything really Cause you, so, so in the 90s that was like the boom era that's when there was like because from which and it's like yeah. because when I'm in the green room, yeah. there's nothing better than when an older comedian goes, "Ah, oh, you should have been there back in the day. It would have been great." Well, and then, but then like it was that. So is it? Well, it sort of was. I mean, look, you know, on a practical level, when I came to London in '89, my uh, I was in a shared house with four people. We rent was fifty quid a week, yeah. right? And um, if you got if you got four circuit gigs, there, there weren't two thousand people. There weren't thousands of people doing the circuit. There's about 200 right yeah. and 150 of them were in London and there were five in each other major city and within a year you knew them all and within two years you knew their act everyone's act so well because yeah. everyone only did 20s really. and no one really turned over because yeah, there wasn't no one, that much no TV over, no yeah. need. and you could they used to I remember there was a night at Market Tavern in Essex Road where everyone used to do each other's act <laughs> it's really funny and like <laughs> Jeff Green did Joe Brand and whatever you know yeah, and it was, so and um, the, really, the first person to write a long show, a long form show that made sense, was Sean Hughes in about nineteen ninety. And that's when he won. Yeah, that's when he won. Yeah, and so around that time, if your rent was fifty quid a week and you were twenty one, and you um, had four circuit gigs a week, which were cash door splits, let's say they were fifty quid yeah, yeah. tops, you were fine, right? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. and that now, young everything's much more expensive. Young people are in debt. Lots of gigs don't pay anything because there's yeah. so many people doing it. It's privileged to perform. So it's sort of. 
you know, it is different, but it was kind of like what it was like in the 90s, 80s, 90s, talking to people from the 60s that I know on the folk circuit, mm. was like being, fo- fo- you know, when there was a folk boom mm. and there were lots of, you know, women and men playing guitars and mandolins, bungees and the troubadour on... Um, on on uh, in Fulham and just kind of getting mm. by like that. It was like no one thought they were going to be rich, mm. but everyone was just working. You know, it was just ticking over. And so and doing doing the circuit, doing circuit gigs five nights a week. Then it was a fantastic decade. You, you met so many different kinds of people. Um. You know, and you went to all these little tiny weird clubs around the country that there'd only be one in every town, and it wasn't yet the jonglers or the mm. comedy store. And so mm. it was. You know, it's a fantastic education. And also, the era of the travel lodge hadn't really taken off, and so you'd be in £8 a night DSS bed and breakfast, but you could do it, mm. you know. And so it was, it was, um, yeah, I do feel really nostalgic about it, actually. And sometimes I think it would be really great to write some kind of comedy drama about that period, mm. but I don't think people would believe how unglamorous it was. Yeah, it was just, yeah, yeah. You know, well, yeah. Cause, yeah, I guess I guess it did uh, lack the sort of showbiz ele- element into yeah. what people think showbiz is. Yeah, and also there wasn't the internet, right? So, you know, the way you promoted a gig was you photocopied a piece of paper and stuck it on a tree and yeah. people came. You know, it does show the difference even just in generational of like me doing comedy and how you were doing comedy. Yeah. Is I think, how the fuck would I get to a gig without Google Map and the sat nav? Because like, yeah. it was maps. And, and like, if, I'm, if I'm doing a gig in Birmingham, yeah. I wouldn't even know how to even get to the gig in yeah, Birmingham. Well, I, you know, in the 90s and 80s, you had minicab driver knowledge of like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. going all over to these places. On, yeah. But, um, no, it was it was it was different, and um, but I don't know that it was better or worse. It was just. Different. Well, I think it's just different. Yeah, yeah, I think I think it's just it, it is the change of the times, and mm. I think it's easy to be you know, and you should be nostalgic because it was a good time yeah. in comedy. But in the same time, it is you know things change. But I, one thing you did mention, which I think is something that uh, isn't great in comedy, and for people coming up, because people always ask me. Uh, you know how, how do I get into comedy and I tell them well the first thing is don't do it yeah. <laughs> that's the first one and then if you're going to do it then you just got to you know properly do it but there is that thing now of I don't know if I was in the open mic if I could have got out because yeah. there is that thing of privilege to play because there's so many Yeah, there is that thing of like the open the middle because when I was coming up there was still the middle spot yeah. there was a two tens that would get you know get 50 quid or something yeah, yeah. and you know, I was like 19, 20 you know 50 quid was big money back then uh, I was actually telling the, the the sound guy that he was uh, spoke to this comedian called Ari Styler, and that was the first guy who paid me. He's given me twenty five quid to play a shisha bar <laughs> in the <laughs> in the middle of in the middle of North London, and it was the worst gig ever. But I remember getting twenty five quid and thinking that I was the king. I was like yeah. ringing up my mum saying we've moved on up. Yeah, I'm getting twenty five quid for these yeah. gigs. Well, I, when people say to me, "How did you get started?" I don't know because I well, it's like I'm talking about the Stone Age now. Yeah, you know? I mean. You know what? What you did was you just did you did loads of open spots, and if you're any good, after about a year and a half, you'd get half spots, mm. and then you'd work up. And, and um, well, do you, do you, was it so, so, was it the Tunnel Club? Right, I, I missed the very end of the Tunnel Club. I did uh, Malcolm's next gig a lot. Okay, yeah, is that, I missed that the very up end, the creek. But, yeah, up the creek. Yeah, but I mean, I, I always. I was I'm funny if I drove past it at the weekend and I always think about it. Is that a great documentary about it? Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. I haven't seen. Do you know what? Yeah. I've been trying to watch it, but I can't. Is it? Oh, you, it was knocking about on the internet for a bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I need yeah. to watch that. But I, that's, that's one club yeah. always. Uh, but I mean, I did. I did catch the end of that sort of era. I, I caught the end of the era where, you know, a lot a lot of people on the alternative circuit were from Variety or they'd been street entertainers, and mm. there was, and it was a sort of more sloppy and messy. But mm. so, but you know, there would be chaotic acts that um, acts that I really miss, like the Iceman. Who 
whose act was that he would melt a block of ice right, and talk it, about yeah. it whilst yeah. doing it. And um, <laughs> it's like um, blowtorches, but also, um, uh, you know, de-icer for yeah, cars. Yeah, yeah, and that yeah. would like really, you're not really supposed to use that indoors. And people would be choking <laughs> and everything. This guy called Steve Murray who just used to cut teddy bears up, like execute them. See, and, um, you, I, was, but, I was talking to uh, Mark Steele. And yeah. he was telling me about um, all of this. And I yeah. was like, and what would people, because like, just the idea now, I think, okay, say if I was in Jonglers Portsmouth and the guy came on and started yeah. cutting ice, and they go, I go, what would people do? And you go, they'd watch it. And you go, I like a Well, maybe, although, although now I think there's kind of people, right, people have seen a lot of stand-up on saying they have an idea what they think it is, yeah, right? Yeah. And so they have an idea that they're being shortchanged in some way if they don't get that. Yeah, Whereas yeah. In, the, in that period, people had gone to the comedy club. No one knew anyone was anyway. Mm. No one was famous. So they just sort of, Watch whatever. We'll also watch whatever. And what was good about Malcolm? Malcolm's audience. Malcolm managed to create an atmosphere whereby the audience heckled you off, but he expected heckles to have some quality to them. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And um, and also he did another thing really brilliantly where he would slag you off after you'd been on to get back in with the audience, but he'd do it in such a way as also flattered you. And I remember the first time I did a gig for him, which was about the end of '89, he went, "That was Stuart Lee. Started off well." Got worse by the end. It was shit, right? <laughs> but he didn't mind because he kept a little. He got back in with them, but he yeah. kept a little bit of your dignity. Yeah, what I've seen there was some salvation before. into that. Yeah, but I've seen comics like trash the acts, you know, and I really hate yeah. that. Yeah, you know, uh, it, it, it does. As you see it a lot on the gong shows. Yeah, yeah. like uh, you saw the gong shows, and you and it is that sort of like gladiator esque yeah. thing. And uh, it's never been my style. I think that it's kind of uh, maybe not healthy, but it's us against them. Yeah, even if you're think, shit, do you know what you're still weird, on right? my side. If there's a load of comics together complaining mm. about people's acts you know or we don't like this well, I'll join in right but if I'm out in a place where there's a member of the public mm. criticising a comedian yeah, I'll jump I'll in. always stick up for them we were on holiday once me and the wife and like there was these people in this little cottage opposite in Cornwall and they'd seen someone and they'd say he wasn't any good and I just absolutely wouldn't have it with him <laughs> they got, and he and he, it wasn't that good actually the bloke but I thought <laughs> But he was, it was good sometimes, yeah. you know, and they were saying they couldn't imagine that he could ever work. And I was going, we don't know anything about it. Yeah, you? Yeah. I, you know, I, I got in a cab and the bloke was complaining. The bloke was complaining about John Bishop. And I just thought, I'm not, you know, it's, I've seen John Bishop do, when he started out, the most fantastic shows yeah. in a porter cabin. I'm not going to sit there and have someone, you know, so it's really weird. You're like, stick up for the community. Yeah, yeah, yeah Anyone. Yeah. Even people I hate. Even I stick up for them. Even the it's worst comic who I think is a piece of shit. I'll be like, <laughs> don't you dare talk about his act in front of me like yeah, that. But, but then it, privately, I'd go, oh, I hate that. Bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think it is that, yeah, because it is that sort of thing of it is that, you know, there is a, and that, do you know, because I was talking about this with someone else, is yeah. about comedians. And there is a certain thing that I like about the community of comedians that we have our own language. Yeah. And there is a certain thing that I do enjoy. And I remember when I first started, I found uh, uh, camaraderie in it. Is there is a nice feeling of not having to prerequisite everything with, you know, I'm only joking. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? No, but you know you what? You forget that life. in the real world, right? And it yeah. sometimes gets you in trouble, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. um, I remember dropping my kid off at school. And there was, um, they'd had to make, um, they'd had to make a model of an island, right, for mm. geography project. They're all about five or six, and the one kid's model of an island was obviously the dad had done it, and he probably worked <laughs> in a museum. It was so good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, one of the other mums went, "Oh, look at Johnny's map of the island. It's really good, isn't it?" And I went, "His dad obviously did it. It should be smashed up in front of him, <laughs> and he should be given an E for it, and the parents should be t- kicked out of the school or something." They go, "What really? You know anything? Oh no, I've got to." Yeah, I've got to say to them now. At some point, I've got to backtrack. Yeah, from yeah, yeah. You know, you can't. You I can't have to be kind a civilian. Assume. Yeah, I know. You can't yeah. kind of. You can't assume, and it is difficult. Cause you sort of forget. 
you forget and then you can cause these massive problems without yeah. realizing it. Well, I think it's that it's that sort of and that's you know kind of probably why I enjoy doing it is because there's a sort of sense of freedom. Yeah. And sort of being away from the mundanity of what people have to say. Yeah. You know, and it's all some like at least some you know tone of it don't matter and it's like any idea you can joke about yeah you know what i'm saying that's, but, that's that you know i mean that. that is that is a thing that is more difficult now for for people is that is that i mean i i'm i'm of a generation where i'm a i you know i'm a i remember when there wasn't political correctness and i like political correctness and i don't necessarily mm. like people throwing the baby out of the bathwater and going mm. oh we kind of but you know in the when everything is um filmed now you know, every, someone mm. might always have a camera phone. P- things are reported on and tweets and whatever. It's quite difficult to work out a controversial idea on stage, mm. right? Because you sometimes go through 20, 30 versions of a thing. Because you can't work you, out the premise. Yeah, yeah, before you work out mm. how you can say that thing in such a way that obviously you didn't mean it and mm. it's counterbalanced by that. And I think that little leeway is gone because mm. everything's can be reported yeah, yeah, on yeah, and yeah. written on, you know. And so you jump on the sort of... The, the sort of um, the molecule, the idea, yeah, yeah. and it's like, oh, it's, it's, it's going somewhere, yeah, it's going and it somewhere. can sort of be taken out of context with one word. Yeah. But I do agree with you in that sort of baby of the bathwater, because there's that weird thing, you know, and in, in, in the, you know, mate, like when I've done that show about the Nazis and yeah, stuff, well, and it's sort of like jumping into sort of talking about far right wing ideas. You know what I thought was good about that to interrupt is that, no. is that there is a sort of, there is an assumption now the world is full of liberals making stuff up and complaining about prejudices that don't exist. Uh. So it's very good to see you go around the world and meet absolutely insane yeah, people yeah, yeah. that really, really believe yeah, those yeah. crazy yeah, things. Yeah, these crazy and ideologies. And be saying them to your face. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, these mental ideologies. And it's just like the casualness of it. And you know though? The best thing is, is when you sort of ask someone about it yeah. and you and you can see that they know they're being crazy, yeah. but they just want to say nigger. And it's like, it's, it, it just, and they, they will yeah. create this whole conspiracy about yeah. the Jews and yeah. all of this. Just, just, and it's like, listen, you could just, you could have just said that word without wearing the swastika. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what, again, what was interesting about those is like, is like, you know, some people would have um, huge swathes of historical evidence ready to discredit the argument. What you did with the white supremacists, anti-Semitic people, was ask them if they ate bagel. It's <laughs> <laughs> only and that began to unravel it. But yeah. like they'd never even thought about yeah. eating a Jewish, you know, bakery product. Yeah, You realize yeah. that they get uh, sort of. But uh, to take it back to political correctness, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there is that weird thing in it it's like it's sort of the ideas become so polarized yeah and it's sort of like you have to be at one end of the extreme or the other in the extreme it's sort of like yeah. it's just like you know say nothing which is ridiculous or mm. why can't i say nigger and it's like what it, <laughs> yeah, there yeah. is there is there is a middle ground which is the yeah. minority with the, is the majority you know it's, it's well that's partly why i don't really know what to do i mean i've stopped for a bit and it's a good time to stop because like when i when i started out in comedy which had come out Alternative comedy came out of the left mm. in Britain, and you know it came out of punk and post-punk, and mm. it came out of the left, and it came out of um, mung bean-eating social workers running gigs and squats in East London. It came out of that, and it came out of the festival circuit, and it came out of the hippie world, and you know, and there was a liberal consensus in comedy, and mm. so you knew where you knew where you fitted. And I think what I did a bit in the mid '90s was when the liberal consensus seemed really like the prevailing thing you almost mm. went against it a bit mm. f- because for fun okay. which is good because yeah, yeah. because the the architecture seemed so in place mm. now i don't really know i don't really know where i fit in relation to it and yeah. it's a good time to stop for a bit i think 
I'm lucky I'm old because an old man can sort of, uh, you know, be like this derelict figure ranting, mm. you know. But so it's an int- it's a, I can't don't quite know where it fits. And certainly, you, 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 there are there are types of people and there are political views on the circuit now, wrongly or rightly, that either didn't exist 30 years ago or no one would have felt comfortable expressing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that reflects society generally. You yeah. know? So it's, I don't quite know, I don't quite know what to do next. Yeah. Do you, so in terms of you trying to formulate that idea now and you go, okay, I need to know what the where I am and what I feel about these yeah. subjects, because there is that thing in it, it's like you want to, you want to go against the status quo, but it's weird we don't know what the status quo is now yeah. where it's sort of like there is such a push-off. you got, because I mean, listen, yeah. the, right, the right is rising. There, yeah. is a, there is a huge influx of the right, but then also there's this sort of, you know, um, sort of really strong sort of far left-wing ideas yeah. happening as well. And it is that sort of thing of where does reasonability come? Yeah. And where does that, and then and then you trying to make it comical. So how yeah, long do you well, think it would take before you sort of... Well, I think, I think I'm moving towards a thing where I'm able to um, sort of put 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 the liberal ideas across that I think but at the same time invite you to find the idea of someone hanging on to all this funny mm. and, I, and in a way um in a way like p- partly what makes a, a stand up funny I think is they have to be uh struggling you know mm. they have to be I, I don't really like it when they're the power figure you know I think you have to be sort of struggling have something wrong with you or if, you know to you know there has to be some problem and i think that in a way it's a, it's a good time to be doing to be doing sort of putting liberal stuff across because it's not the dominant tribe mm. so you're on the, you're in opposition you know and that's true about how people perform as i saw andy kendler last night and american comic and his oh, shtick is that the gig's going badly and he's not he's disappointed he isn't. It's going exactly as he wants it to. <laughs> yeah. And the audience, which was half comedians last night, yeah. really get that. But some critics have gone, oh, he doesn't, he doesn't seem to be enjoying himself. It's like, yeah. <laughs> it's a joke. The yeah, joke yeah, yeah. is that he's struggling. I, I don't really like it. I don't like a sort of cocky person running the room when there's no suggestion that there's any problem with them. You yeah, know, I think there yeah, should yeah. be. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it, that is the sort of the... I think as well, you hold so much power doing comedy. Yeah. You're holding the mic, you're holding the room, you're holding the attention. Yeah. And I think there has to be some type of vulnerability to that. I think there has to be a sort of suggestion, why Why are you there? Yeah. What's, what's yeah, wrong yeah, with yeah. you? Yeah, there has you to know? be some reason why. You can't yeah. just be there for the sake yeah. of it. Yeah. The specials I've seen is like, I've seen a lot of the Go uh, Faster Strike specials. Oh, the, yeah, I, was only, I did one for that, a 90s comedian, yeah, which was about, that was mainly off the back of... Um, when I did, uh, I, I, I co-wrote the words for uh, an opera about about the Jerry Springer American Talk Show, which was written by a composer called Richard Thomas. Yeah. And then which that you got was, a lot of shit for. Yeah, <laughs> there was a lot of sort of controversy about that. And that that show was partly about about that, about what is offensive religious imagery and what isn't. You know. Yeah. And so, so tell me about so when you when you wrote that, did you yeah. realise how much? Agro, you're gonna get because this is uh, the, so just to make well, it clear. This is the, you, you wrote a op, you wrote the Jerry Spring opera. I co-wrote, I the co-wrote, co-wrote the words. Yeah, I co-wrote the words. Look, it, look, it was the, the the basic premise of it, which is that um, the basic premise of it was Richard Thomas. Richard Thomas was and still is really a, a comedian, but he was also a composer. He was in a quite, he was in a funny double act in the early '90s called Miles and Milner. Uh, it was like Tim Minchin sort of stuff. Oh, you know, okay, it yeah. was really good. And he um, he said that he was watching the Jerry Springer show on TV one night 
and there were loads of fat people shouting and you couldn't understand what they were saying and that's the same as an opera right and um so he went from there and the first hour which was mainly all him was um about the guests in the studio arguing and it was all sung like an mm. opera and then the second half which was ma- mainly me lyrically was Springer was uh, um, assassinated and then he's sort of in hell and the devil does a deal with him that if he can reconcile heaven and hell he can go back to life and then he has to reconcile heaven and hell in the form of a chat show where mm. God's there and Jesus and the devil and Mary and whatever and it's all so Definitely. and that was the bit that um that was the main source of the problems which no we didn't anticipate because context when we wrote it it was at Battersea Arts Centre yeah. where um, Guardian reading liberals who would have understood it go and um, it was um, being performed to 120 people the problem was it, it went it became popular yeah. and it went into a space like the National Theatre and then commercial theatre where it was found out about by people who without seeing it made a set of assumptions about what it was and mm. um, weirdly if the internet had been up and running then we'd probably been able to head those off because yeah. people that had seen it would have gone yeah but that's not in it yeah, or yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but it got to the point where you know I did about five years work on it and it with with commercial theatre there's a break even point down the line mm. and you're always told when it's on everywhere you'll reach that break even point and you'll got paid and because it was sued and banned and whatever this break even point you know never came and it was a very wow. difficult five years and also it was also difficult because I got you know, I got Olivier Awards for it and things like that, and I was—I never really saw anything from it. So I got investigated by the Inland Revenue, who kind of came round and <laughs> went, you're "You've got a West End theatre run. You've yeah. got—you've got this awards cabinet. Yeah. Why? Why has you got no money? <laughs> <laughs> then they gave me a rebate. So it was it worked know, out. Then. Yeah, yeah. It was a weird, weird period. But that—that that was um, that. After that, that's when I really thought the thing about stand-up is you can say what you want. Mm. You can control who you're doing it to. You don't need financial backing. Mm. And if I do 100 people in a pub and get a quarter of the door, I'm making more in one night than I am out of um, Doing a month of this thing on in the in the West End. You know, yeah, so that, that is, um, you know, the fact that you got, and especially in England. I mean, and and this is what this was a this was uh, like 10 years ago, maybe now. 15 years. 15 ago now, years yeah, ago. Yeah. So it's not even like what it is now in terms of you know. Uh, uh, I know there's sort of like a more religious controversy. Yeah. Know, with a uh, um, the thing that happened in Paris and yeah, know, well, it'd be more difficult Charlie Hebdo now, and right. stuff, and you know because that there has been it, sort of that. Yeah. But it's just like um, you know, because we we have we have we have you know we have Darwin on the the ten pound note. Like we're not uh, uh-huh. a, a, a country that I think would yeah. sort of react in that way. Well, it, religion, it would be more you know? complicated now, right? Because at the time in Britain, debates about religious influence mainly concerned branches of the Christian religion controlling schools or whatever, and then obviously yeah. the rise of extreme Islam has massively complicated that mm. as has the level of threat which religious people are prepared to um, deploy you know mm. they'll go beyond writing a stiff letter <laughs> yeah 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 they would write into the manager write into the BBC you know that would have the complete show it more complicated now and um, it seems like a, and, and it's also much more complicated now because of social media and things like that you know stuff uh-huh. would just mushroom up much more quickly but uh, so you know yeah, he's try, he tried to get it going again in, in New York, actually, Richard Thomas, and I think it's sort of in the okay, balance yeah. there. But um, weirdly, I thought it would seem like from a long time ago, but actually he said it It sort of prefigures the rise of Trump, basically a, yeah. a celebrity TV character becoming this sort of um, 
lead, you know, uh, political yeah. figure. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, it's a crazy time. Especially, I mean, yeah. it's, it is weird how sort of things you make sort of resonate at yeah. a later date, you know. And not, yeah. not to bring it back to, you know, I was all fucking shitty talking about my show. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's always like a, a, a shitty moment bringing up my show. But it's like, I remember when I made that show, the first episode in Sweden, they were oh, telling yeah. me about, they were like, we're alt-right. And yeah. I remember we didn't even know what it meant. Yeah. That's how weird it was. Like, I didn't even know what I meant. Yeah. Oh, right. I was yeah. like, what's all right? And it was like, and then, and then it was sort of, Trump wasn't even, it, people were laughing at Trump at that time. Yeah. And oh, yeah. then when I sort of went to America, then Trump had got um, in the race. Yeah. And then it was all the Nazis had the Trump stickers. And it was just like a weird time to see that rise and yeah. sort of being well, with Sweden's the far right. Sweden's in the balance now. I mean, oh, God, the, and, Andrew Kindler had a funny right? bit last night actually about the outright, about it being sort of fascism for hipsters, you know, it's yeah, really yeah, funny. Yeah. Like, but yeah, I mean, who saw that coming? And I think there's, I think there's a lot of that sort of sensibility in some stand-ups now, that yeah. outright sensibility. And I don't, you know, I don't know what you do about that really. I, I, you know, it's, 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 it's that hard thing. I think it's kind of the market does dictate what people yeah. do. Yeah, uh, and I don't. Again, it's that weird thing in it. Like I don't know how many comedians are actually out there doing that. I think it's sort of they feel that this sort of lefty idea of comedy is the status quo, yeah. and they're just doing things to yeah. go against it. Well, actually, for the last, yeah, like, I know what you mean. Think that's punk now. For, yeah, to, to yeah, be yeah. like, well, you know what? Maybe I don't like refugees, and you yeah. go, okay, but it's not. Well, no, it's <laughs> for the last few years. Every summer in Edinburgh, the Daily Telegraph's tried to make a feature about. The, here come the new right wing comics. Yeah. They only ever managed to find two really that yeah, were any yeah. good, and then this show they didn't bother. And it was like, <laughs> yeah, and even the ones that are the right wing comics, they're not that. Even their no. act, the act isn't right wing. Yeah, yeah. It's just they vote Tory, yeah. and that's about. They just want to pay, pay a bit less tax. The act isn't actually that right wing. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's only that like one or two comics that, uh, especially trying to sell. I, in Edinburgh, I saw a guy with a fucking Trump hat and an Alex Jones T shirt. Oh right, and I was right. just like, it's like just walking around the streets, yeah. and I was like, this is like in yeah. Edinburgh. Actually, there's, a, there's a thing in one of the broadsheets complaining that a lot of the um, shows in Edinburgh seem to be anti-Brexit or certainly the performers were in the fringe and I thought god that's so weird cause, to complain about that because one of the reasons the fringe was set up after the war was in a spirit of international European cooperation it was specifically about <laughs> trying to rebuild European yeah, 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 bridges yeah. off the war so actually it's it's sort of in the DNA of it that yeah. it's an international event so it wouldn't be you know uh, what, what, what do you feel about sort of this idea of you know like oh it's you know you know like comedians going up being like anti-Trump anti-Brexit do you think it is sort of overdone or do you think that's just the zeitgeist of just how what, they mean, feel do you mean in Edinburgh yeah because well, it is the, that sort because I mean walking well, through the streets you do sort of yeah like, but Edinburgh's you know, a fr right, the thing about the fringes that a lot of people don't understand is no one has to ask anyone if they can go uh, right no one gets approved right a, a woman was telling me uh, you know two years ago uh, uh, that um, the fringe was obviously blocking people that were um, pro uh, the Scottish and English Union and that they were de deliberately putting on loads of anti-English comedians doing Scottish nationalist shows. And I mean, they aren't because there's no governing body uh -huh. that decides on contact. Yeah. And she wouldn't have it. She was convinced that this... Uh, so if there's if there's loads of people doing anti-Trump and Brexit material, that's because they've paid for a room and gone yeah. there. It's not that there's some organisational body <laughs> doing cable. it. You know, and they're, they're right or weird about this because they like to say the market decides, right? And uh, and that, that that ultimately that's what it's about, the market decides. You know, four or five years ago when the UKIP conference had um had uh it had an old school like racist working club working men's club comic on doing anti Islamic stuff and whatever. Mm -hmm. And um and uh at the time 
at the time, Paul Nuttall, who was leading UKIP then, had said that Johnny and the Baptists, you know them, mm -hmm. should be banned from any theatres that received any public subsidy if I they did. That, anti a UKIP song, yeah, UKIP yeah. song, right? But what Farage said, he's obviously cleverer than um, than uh, uh, Paul Paul Nuttall's. He he said at the same time this other thing was kicking off, and he said that. Um, that the market would decide and you shouldn't you shouldn't ban a comedian for doing racist stuff because ultimately the market was the mm. arbiter of taste so he took a different position mm. weirdly you know um Nuttall seemed to think there should be some intervention over and above the market <laughs> whereas uh Farage said that it can only be the market so they can't kind of have it both ways no, no, if no. the market will sustain a, night, a festival in which the comedy content is 80% liberal, mm. you can't then say you need to fabricate balance well, in a free market. You might have to do it for a broadcaster, yeah, yeah, yeah. but not for a free market. Because there is, there, is, there, is there is hypocrisy that I see in yeah. terms of, it's like, oh, I want freedom of speech. And it's like, well, you can have it, but it's like, they, they think that it comes with no consequence. Yeah. So it's like that idea, like the same what you were just saying, it's sort of the market dictates. And it's yeah. like, well, the market says that, that they want your show. It's like, oh, they just, they take away my freedom of speech. It's like, no, 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 but it's the thing you just exactly yeah. said. It's just, it's just not in line with what you're selling yeah you know you see um when you made the one, one question i do want to ask you is just to, it's going to be a, a shift gear uh, gear shift here when you made the alternative comedy experience uh which is a great show and it's actually oh, one thanks. of those and you, you know what like as a comedian that was the one stand-up show uh that i always wanted to do like oh, i remember my. watching that and i'd oh, be like if i that. ever no nah, it's cool oh, yeah, yeah. if i ever do like, there's only a few things in comedy i ever yeah. wanted to do and it was play the comedy calf. Yeah. Because I used to, when I was like open mic and I used to walk past it all right. the time. And that was the first club that put me on weekends. Oh, and right, no right. Fortner, that crazy bastard. Uh, yeah, I remember him opening that, you know, in about 89, 90. Yeah, it was shut, it's shut no, now, isn't it? Oh, yeah, but no one used to go out around there. And we thought, yeah. what are you doing opening yeah, this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, anyway. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, he's a, he's a character in himself. Yeah. Oh, no, he was the first one. And it was to do the uh, alternative comedy experience and to play Amsterdam Tumblr. Oh, it was right. my three things I wanted right. to do. And uh, I'd done two of those things, but uh, yeah. I never got to do the alternative. But it's, uh, why, did you, why did you pick the Stan Comedy Club? Well, because um, I thought that it would look really good on camera. It, yeah, which uh, it did. Yeah, I thought, I thought that... Um, the sorts of acts I wanted might have played there, yeah. so they'd feel comfortable in that place. Um, I didn't didn't really want it to be in London, yeah. so that um, it was like the Edinburgh stand, right? Yeah, Edinburgh yeah. stand, yeah. Um, and I th I thought that um, the stand had a little bit of of kudos. It brought a little bit of kudos to it in terms of sort of it's not one of the big four venues in Edinburgh. It's yeah, just yeah. a little bit sort of left field in its own way. Um, I thought people might trust it a bit more of you know comics going on there, and I thought it would mainly thought it would look really good, and it looks like a comedy club. It doesn't look like a TV studio, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's quite easy to light as well because it's small, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also wanted people to be. I, I've got a thing I'm obsessed with in how you film stand up, right? Which is that I don't like the false rhythm of cuts, like yeah. where you go to audience responses, yes, yeah. and particularly transparent on things like. Uh, Live at the Apollo, which has got loads of strengths and it gives me a really long spot. But they do choose very specific audience reaction shots to try and change the way the audience at home are receiving uh -huh. the so what, material. They want to reassure you that it's okay. Yeah, so, so if you joke about a black person, they'll yeah, I know. Black person. Right, yeah, yeah, right. And um, so what what I try and do is get camera positions that, and I work this out when I I got asked to direct a thing for Johnny Vegas about fifteen years ago, which I mainly balls that really badly but I did shoot the stand up well which is I wanted to shoot across 
the acts so that you see an audience response in real time uh-huh. where there's not a breaking of the rhythm yeah. to the uh, thing and I've always done that I've done it all through comedy vehicle there are no breaks for reaction shots so the other thing about the standard you've got people on three time three sides and you could mm. mainly not, you could see that you could see that the gig was actually working mm. or not mm. but because but, what these people do on the, they write into papers I get it well do, you do a thing live that the last telly special there were no dub laughs on it in fact I took some out because mm. one bit that I wanted to fail went too well right That's, <laughs> but you still got people going where do they get this canned laughter from no one would laugh at this yeah. well they fucking did yeah, yeah, right? yeah, whether yeah, you like yeah, a, yeah, yeah. so that's partly where you shot it because I remember because when I had done my one you was like the you, how you filled the co- um, comedy vehicle was yeah. like the template yeah. of in terms of like oh, yeah. influenced oh, right, my oh, one where oh, I was cool, like I yeah. don't want shitty audience shots yeah, every yeah, time yeah. they would panic to the audience yeah. I would like jump in front of the camera yeah. <laughs> to block the shot yeah. of the right well I think shit. it's I think people I think it causes a lack of trust somehow yeah, yeah, and I think yeah. you have to remove the opportunity for them to complain about yeah. it. You know? Do you direct your own specials, or do you? Edit I don't. Your own but specials? I talk. But I work really closely with the with the with people. The idea, and yeah. for the for the um, for the uh, for comedy vehicle, and most of the specials have been directed by Tim Kirkby, and we sort of worked out a yeah, yeah. A, 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 a grammar for it. I remember know? a comedy vehicle. I remember one of my uh, uh, it, it, one of my favorite bits is um, it was a sketch, and it was about um, it was a, sort of taking like the sort of uh, piss out of like the sort of. Um, old American comedies and it's like fag rats oh yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, that that was, it was you know what that came from no right? well in in 94 me and Kevin Eldon and Ben Moore who's a sort of performance artist we went as young men like travelling around America for a month yeah. right and we stayed with Harmon Leon in San Francisco who's a great American stand up still does the free fringe every year and he uh, there was this um, there was we used to meet all these San Francisco stand ups every night and there was one guy, and I don't even know what his name was, right? But he kept going on about how he'd got some people coming to see a showcase that he was doing next week. Uh. And every night he'd be really stressing out with the other comedians. we going, should I do my mouse bit? And uh, then someone going, don't do the mouse bit. And going, do that mouse bit, man, it kills. And we never saw the mouse bit. We knew what it was, right? So for the rest of the month when we were traveling around America... We used to sort of improvise the mouse bits which are <laughs> in the styles of different American standards. Yeah, 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 yeah. And there was a sort of thing at the time of like shock, you know. Yeah, that sort of like the Bill Hicksy type of like <laughs> yeah, wearing a turtleneck, smoking a cigarette. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so that fag rats thing, it might even have been Kevin's, to be honest. I don't know, but it was yeah. sort of in my, it'd been in my mind for about 20 20 years you know this the fag rats thing from I remember we, we used to sort of we used to sort of improvise these American hate comic routines where yeah. they'd be directed against animals and stuff yeah, that is rather than people funny. so that's where it came from but Tony Law did that yeah he killed it really it was just well. like it's yeah. fag yeah. rat and I remember watching yeah. that I remember when I was uh, uh, me and uh, my mate Henry that's like oh, one right. of the jokes that we always quote yeah well you know that, that's one of those things where actually obviously that thing I ended up writing it but it's one of those things where which you sometimes get with comedy, where the authorship of an idea sometimes comes out of a lot of people having fun, doesn't it? And then yeah. you have this slightly awkward thing, where is uh, how is it developed? You know, because yeah. that was very. I mean, I mean what, my my wife, whenever she meets someone I was at school with, she goes, "Oh, you've got this sort of sense of humour that obviously was your yeah. group of friends," and I'm just profiteered from it they got real jobs they got real jobs you're living the dream <laughs> yeah, know, you've yeah. got like, they're just taking little bits of their, yeah, of their essence it's a sort of just horrible 
sarcastic sort of thing that a little. Did you, you know, uh, did you ever work America? I did, well, I did um, the Mel Montreal Festival in in Canada in mm-hmm. about ninety six and ninety seven, and then I did it again. I did that and Aspen around two thousand and five. Oh, in Colorado, yeah. Was that a good festival? Well, you know, I mean, I I don't really like most American stand-ups, and I think it's because we're spoiled here because mm. you see. The British acts, the Irish acts, and the visiting Australian That's interesting acts, because they, it's interesting because I mean it's sort yeah. of like American stand up, especially because they they even like because I think as well as like in England, I mean this is like from the, the this is like the consensus of for my generation. Yeah, right? in England there is a sort of like um, the Edinburgh. Yeah, the Edinburgh. Like, yeah, the Edinburgh where it's sort of like through line yeah. idea bang and all yeah. that. And then now there is a sort of thing of a lot of comedians look up to the American hour, where it's just hour jokes. And yeah. people want to see more than line. Well, so it's interesting I mean, that you sort of say that, like, you know, I know, and I know you're obviously not saying that you think all American comedy oh, no, is shit. Oh, no, I'm not. There's some, there's some great brilliant. ones. Yeah. They, they've got yeah. some of the best in the world. Well, I don't think them. it's even that they're better or worse than us. I think what it is is the Edinburgh app. Right. Uh, okay, so sociologically, <laughs> right, after the war, um, you know, there was lots of funding in art centres and things like that. So all yeah. around the country, there are these 100, 150-seater venues. In the 80s, the funding was cut by Thatcher, so there were a lot of rooms going spare that needed to be filled. Yeah. The alternative comedy boom created tourable little shows of low economic impact, and so there was an impetus yeah. because of the fringe and these little venues to create these sort of hours. Mm. In America, there was never that. A club headliner does 40 minutes. Mm. The bottom of the bill, guys, might be doing a tight... Well, you go to an American club, they ask yeah. you to do seven minutes. Yeah, it's tight. Right? And, it's, and it's not eight. It's, no. No, seven. It's seven. So I, I, and so, actually, the the um, system there mm. didn't make force them to make better shows. It, no. it, it made them make tiny marketable chunks and the, and the hour they do has to be like that because it's a club yeah cause it's, it's a club, not yeah. it's not like people you know. coming to a festival then and I having to sit there yeah. i'm not patriotic about many things but one thing i'm patriotic about is uh stand up here you mm. know and i think i think it's great yeah. i think it's great and I, and I think what's happened like there's an there's articles now floating around in american media about this new kind of comedy and this um, is edinburgh, <laughs> it's, edinburgh. Yeah, yeah. it's americans that have been to edinburgh yeah like um you know Harry Condero, uh Reggie Watts, Mike Bibi, Mike Bibi, loads yeah, of people, yeah. and they've gone back, and they've they've tried to do that, and then then I read these articles, then I'm a sort of footnote at the bottom of like there are some British comedians that do the we, we fucking <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah you know like yeah, yeah, yeah. you know it's like the it's really it Sean weird. Was Sean Hughes that invented that? Do you think? Huh? Was it Sean Hughes that invented that? Well, the I know first, he was the first yeah, the first when he did one it. was that, and because he's still the youngest ever that won it, right? He won oh, yeah, it like twenty one or something. Or something. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he did, he did. You know, it was a it was a big deal. But then he didn't really do that again. He sort of he sort of became a quiz show guy, and uh-huh. you know, it was sad really. Cause it, and he. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. But yeah, that, that show was... Like that. And, then, and then there's an Australian guy called Greg Fleet who saw that show and pretty quickly... Stopped. He was the guy doing that in Australia, but he won't mind me saying he had a heroin addiction problem, which... You know, serve to slow his progress in many ways. <laughs> heroin does Jeez. that. There's something about heroin that doesn't make you speed up. You know, it's like the fact like that you really want to sit down on the couch and smoke a cigarette instead of rising yeah. bits. I mean, it must be really great. Yeah, oh, mate, heroin must be amazing. It certainly doesn't seem to have any other beneficial. Because sometimes I see a crackhead and I'll be like, you've lost your wife, your family, your kids, yeah. and you're still like, you want to get some more rock? <laughs> that must be delicious. <laughs> it must be so good. You've lost everything. You'll be like, eh, let's get some more. Yeah. So, I and mean, I think, I think, I think that, that when I went, when I went, when I saw. Americans in Aspen and Montreal. I was thinking, what? You know, it's just like nothing. You know, and and um, uh, so, but then you'd, obviously there are really good people. But I think they're yeah. being made to stretch a bit now. Yeah, and obviously yeah. that weirdly, you know, Hannah Gadsby going over there. That's a very extreme form of the mm. of the written show. Probably, arguably, a logical endpoint of it mm. actually. Mm-hmm. And um, but it's certainly put the cat amongst the pigeons yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it did it did, it did sep- uh, definitely separate what was the norm out yeah, there yeah, in yeah. terms of uh, shifting it Chimata. you see um, when you done the um, the comedy vehicle yeah what was sort of the idea of what you wanted to get out of the show and I know that's a weird question and I'm, I'm, I'm super nerding out here well, but it's the idea of sort of like and this is just from my perspective yeah, yeah. is you're doing like like a, a, a solid hour of comedy, and it's like and it's like a special, but then it's sort of through lined, yeah, and well, it has what, a sort of well. What I wanted, to, what, what initially wanted, I don't think it really hit its stride to about the second, and then the third series. I think the third series was one where it like worked the best, and I was lucky, I think, in retrospect, to get it recommissioned. Mm. Um, but uh, in between the first and second series, first of all, I wanted it to be true, a true portrayal of what stand up was like. Mm. So that's why I, th- I th- tried to film it in a small place where there was the chance things wouldn't work and mm. where there would, it would be exposed. Initially, I wanted to film it in places where I actively wasn't wanted. Mm. I wanted to do the gigs on cruise ships mm. or, you know... That is hilarious. Uh, and I, I, 
but they wouldn't go for that because I would have gone down badly. Then I wanted to cut it in with the same material going well in a theatre. Yeah. I thought that'd be really interesting because members of the public, members of the public like to think you're either good or bad. Yeah. Right? They can't separate out environmental factors from a stand-up working. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I thought it'd be really cool to cut in mid-sentence to something dying and then working. That is right? fucking really, genius. That'd be great. Yeah, but yeah. They, wouldn't, they wouldn't go for that. And that sort of that initial version of it just was knocked back yeah, for about yeah, two yeah. years. So really, it was to do it in a place where it felt like the the thing. I di- I didn't really want to do the sketches in it. I, I wanted to maybe do one at the end, mm. but there was a nervousness about doing a straight um, half hour of stand up. Well, well, I don't know. There just there just was. It hadn't really been done before, mm. you know. And um, uh, and, and then. And so in the first series, I used lots of different five or six minute routines that I had mm. and sort of tried to group them together. After the first series, for each series, I wrote six half hours specifically that had a through line that would work mm. for that. That's why it started to come together together better. And I, 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 wanted to, and I wanted to know the stuff so well that I could improvise in the room and chuck it out mm. if I wanted to. And actually there's stuff that never made it to the screen that was written for it because something happened in the room that mm. I felt... Mm. I should go with, and that's a, you know, I think that might be in <coughs> Franklin Ajay, uh, a black American stand-up wrote a sort of book about yeah. the rules <laughs> yeah, of stand-up. Yeah, it's quite yeah, a funny, yeah. it's an interesting book. Yeah. He, I think that's I've one of the that things he says. Where you're he says like, yeah, you yeah but he actually is very good, really. Yeah. He sort of says, you know, you've got to follow what happens in the room, and the jazz guys say that as well. You've got to, yeah. if something happens, you've got to follow that. You can't stick to, the, you know, so that it was to give you enough space to do that. But I think it, I think the third series is where it really came together. In the fourth one. I was doing really extreme things that were working on tour because by that time I was doing 1,000, 2,000 seater rooms. Yeah. And you know, it's a numbers game, isn't it? If you've got a weird bit that 10% of a room like, in a room of 50 people, mm. that five never reach a tipping point. Mm. But in a room of 1,000, 2,000 people, it's 200 people and everyone else goes, mm. oh, it must be funny. And they start joining in with them. Mm. And th- then, So then I crunched this stuff down from doing it in 2,000 seater rooms to back filming it in front of 100 people mm. for the teleseries and stuff that had built and like really gone off seemed like willfully odd in um in the fourth series but actually it worked mm. for six months around the country you know so yeah and, yeah. That, and that, you, you, you're the master at sort of the breaking of the fourth wall when you look into the camera and speak directly down the lens well I don't know that's very kind of you I don't know I don't know where but I think that came from trying to think this is a live show, yeah. right in a room. But how do you make it feel like television as well? Yeah. And I and one of the things was to sort of make the audience at home your kind of conspirators yeah. or your enemy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. To to like refer like refer to them via the people in the room and go, oh, these people at home and what's going on? <laughs> They've gone out. <laughs> They've gone to for a piss now. Yeah, or something yeah, like that, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like, because playing two levels because you've got to play the. Room, I think yeah. there is that thing. It's like because um, I've done them. Um, I mean, when I did, uh, I done the Apollo once, and, yeah. uh, and uh, Anthony, the guy who books it, he's like, play down the barrel. He goes, yeah. he doesn't. He goes, he goes, I was, like, I was nervous. He goes, he don't. It's play down the barrel. Yeah. And it is that weird thing of just as a comic, you want, I want the room to like. Yeah, yeah. It's not even the people watching me at home. Yeah. So is that thing of is that natural thing of you want the bits to well, go well? You can do there. it. You can do it. Yeah, yeah, ways, yeah. You know? I mean, the, the funny thing about that was in the in the first series, the second series, I used to say that I didn't like the people at home because they wouldn't be like it. And then by the fourth series, I was slagging off the people at home because saying they were like sick fans trying to be clever, <laughs> liking the front of the sort of, you changed who they are. Do, you see, like, now, now you're doing the, the 2,000 seaters and yeah. stuff. Do, what, what do you prefer? 
do you first just what do you because I know like you was doing like the Leicester Square and then you sort of doing yeah. like the stands well, and that and you sort of built because it's you know it's been a build it's, it's yeah well the, the thing, the time the you thing about and, it is that, 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 that I right to me the perfect room is Leicester Square Theatre and you know some of because it feels like a club and a theatre mm-hmm. at the same time but it's 500 people to 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 meet the demand for tickets last time I toured and I still didn't do it. I ended up doing six months of like five nights a week at Leicester Square and a week at the Royal Festival Hall. Now, if you were to break that down into O2s, it would yeah. be like 16 O2s or six weeks at Hammersmith Apollo or something like that. Yeah. And, and and yet, but that wouldn't suit me because the perception of me is that I'm not a success, right? The weird thing, that the knock-on effect <laughs> that has in real terms is a broadcaster like Netflix doesn't think I'm a success because I don't do... Hammersmith Apollo, mm. you know, but actually the numbers are much higher. Also, you can keep the cost down in smaller places because mm. you don't have overheads of getting yeah, all this kit and, 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 and stuff. Work, yeah. So, and I think that works better for my audience. Would you well. ever do like the O2? Is that just like just you know what? I don't know what to do next time. I think it might be fun. I did have this idea about how could you do a stadium-sized show that destroyed the conventions of the stadium. Because it had no show. screens. <laughs> like, well, you can have a screen with different stuff. On yeah, it. yeah, yeah. That would be fucking with, funny. Like, could you? Well, you know what? I'm not going to say because okay, I've got okay, I've got okay. half a plan about this, and I've been talking to some computer. Because that would be about, it would be hilarious. Yeah. Like I was because because someone uh, had mentioned before that like if you did break down the numbers of yeah. how many tickets you sold in Leicester Square, yeah, it was of O2 size yeah. venue. Like it was so you like because I remember I remember you done that. I remember because I used to play the '99 and and oh, I yeah, walked yeah. past and it was always oh, yeah, and you yeah. were there for like six, <laughs> it was like I a know. long time. And I was like, but, but actually worked out well as a, as a dad because you mm. could put the kids to bed yeah, and do actually have a life. And then, yeah. You know, and um, also there's no substitute for the fact that the more the more you do a show, you know, a lot mm. of my stuff is about knowing the stuff and then trying to mess around with it. So mm. once you've got got it in, you can then take it apart or move it around or you know it you know it well enough to pull a bit out and think I'll chuck it in there later on or mm. you know so and I really have to know also I don't know what it is but I can't really learn stuff like I used to so I have to get a feel for it by doing it live I can't learn 6,000 words of a mm. two hour show and just do it I can't mm. you know I have to break it in now so. is it one question I did want to because it's like uh, it's going to sound strange but there's a, there's a point of why I'm asking it is you see like being at Oxford you know, oh, you went Oxford, right? Yeah, I was. What, yeah, what yeah. was it like going to Oxford? It's just because I'm, because that's like a world that's totally. Just, well, just for me, I, I, okay. I don't know anyone that's been Oxford. It was, it's, a, it's an interesting thing that um, I, I ended up there, uh-huh. and I went to a private school. I went to a private school because I got a part scholarship, and because I was a single parent family, I, and because I was adopted, I got this charity grant for orphans, waifs, and strays, which meant that. So I, I ended up, first of all, in a school that I socially shouldn't have been at, uh-huh. right? So you, it's interesting. That was interesting. And then... Um, and then Why uh, do you mean socially shouldn't have been there, sir? Can well, I because I didn't have any money. Uh-huh. I didn't have the money that people that paid yeah, the fees yeah, yeah, had, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. so... Was that made clear to you by the other students? No, no one really... It was It was only only years later sometimes we'll interview people and they go, why were you at that school? I saw where you lived. How did you... You know, so it was sort of fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that, that was... Um, that was interesting, and I really enjoyed being at that school. Then I passed the... In, in those days, you could do an exam in a special... In your special subject for Oxford, and I did English, which I was good at. Uh-huh. And you get in, right. There was about... About half of the ten people on my English course in my college would conform to the stereotype uh-huh. that you'd said. The other half were 
from all different sorts of backgrounds. I think students were from more different backgrounds then there because you got full grants mm -hmm. and you know it's more difficult now. When I look back, when I go there now to do things, I cannot believe that I was allowed to go there. Mm. It seems absolutely off the scale, insane, that you spent three years studying English with like people that had written books about it mm. in these medieval buildings. Mm. You know, It seems absolutely unbelievable. But at the same time, in the town, there was a functioning town with normal music gigs and normal mm. comedy gigs. And, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it wasn't completely... Um, the, the, one of the reasons I wanted to go there um, uh, 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 was because I had a Saturday job in a doctor's filing and one of the doctors who was called Mark Payne had been a student in Oxford in the 70s and had written for student reviews with people like Mel Smith that went on to be Not Nine O'Clock News and stuff yeah, like that yeah. and he said that there was the Fringe there were comedy clubs run by students in the town where they worked out shows and then they used to be able to go to Edinburgh Fringe and I thought, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd like to do that. The weird thing about doing it at that exact point in time was in t with, with entire un understandable justification, comedy had completely turned in the 80s against the idea of um, Oxbridge students doing mm. shows. Yeah. There was, because it was seen like an entrenched privilege and a, um, and a you know, an alternative comedy was about... Um, giving other people a go, yeah, yeah, yeah. which as it turned out was mainly students from Manchester University. <laughs> mainly white students yeah, 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 from yeah, Manchester yeah. University who were, had middle-class parents. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, then, uh, th then uh, so actually weirdly, starting the circuit in 89, there was a problem if people found out you'd gone there yeah. rather than the other way around. And in fact, when I won Hackney Empire, New when I won Hackney Empire, New Act of the Year in 1990, the chief, the head of the judges was um, a bloke called John Connor who wrote for City Limits. That's a day, that's, that's, that's a year before I was bored. Yeah, right. <laughs> and he, 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 he afterwards, he gave me the award on stage and as we were walking backstage, yeah. he went, oh, it's great to have someone normal like you, you know, doing so well in, in comedy. We'll show Oxford, uh, <laughs> like, like Rob Newman and David Baddiel. And I went, oh, I went to Oxford. And he went, oh, God, you didn't, did you? And I went, yeah, and he went, well, you're not like them, are you? And I went, well, I don't know, I don't know them, you know. And then I was supposed to get a booking at the Comedy Store and to go on Saturday Live, which was the yeah, 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 Live yeah. at the Apollo of oh, 1990. Yeah, yeah. And both those disappeared. And I don't know if it was because John Connor thought, oh, no, what have I done? I've, like, got another one of these traitors into the... So you never, you the, never got your spot at the store or the... No, no, I never got to play the store. And I, I did, I, I, I was I, I was carried on doing open spots there, but I was never given the paid spot I was supposed to get for winning. Um, wow. Yeah, and, and after I did about five open spots there, and they used to go all right, and then I kept saying to the guy that ran it, who was called Kim Kinney, who died recently, I kept saying, can I have a spot? And then Because it would go all right, you know. Yeah. And they went, come and see me. And I went to see him in about June 1990. And he told me to come at six o'clock or something. And I went at six o'clock. And he said, just wait. And I, I waited for about 20 minutes. Well, he ate a salad. What, not even warm food. He ate a salad in silence whilst drinking a glass of wine, right? And then when he finished it and dabbed down his lips, right? Which is, can only be about status, can't it? Because it was a salad. It was like it was going to go cold, right? He, uh, he said to me, yes, well, I've seen you. He said, I would book you, but you remind me of the comedian that I think is the worst in the world. And I said, who's that? And he went, Simon Munnery. And I went, well, I think he's brilliant. And on a, I know. In 1990, yeah. as far as I was concerned, and I still think it... 
Munnery was a, a genius. Well, he really? literally is a genius. You know, he got the highest A-level results in Britain in 1985. <laughs> yeah. Fucking really? Yeah. Damn. He's a, literally the cleverest 51-year-old <laughs> yeah. person in Britain, right? <laughs> and so, and oh. Kim Kinney had said, who ran the comedy store, had said, yeah. this is the opposite of what stand-up should be. And, of course, it was exactly what I thought it should be. Yeah, I thought yeah, it was fantastic yeah. what he was doing. So I kind of thought at that point, right, so this is not the pathway for me mm. to be doing the store and jonglers. And, and that, that was still like, that would, and the store was the place. Yeah, and, that, and so actually, but weirdly, what that sort of does to you is it's really brilliant. It's like being given the keys to the kingdom because yeah. you can, instead of thinking, oh, I've got to try and do that place, mm. the bloke has told you that a salad is more important than you, <laughs> that he hates you, not as he hate you, he hates the person you think is the best yeah, comedian yeah, yeah. in the world at that point, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I thought, well, this is irrelevant to me. So then it meant that I just did everything else and mm. tried to make all that work. So it kind of removed the thing. And I think one of the things is about, you know, I don't. I, I did a few panel shows about 15 years ago. I was getting married and I... What panel shows did you do? I did... Have I got news for you once? I did... Mo- not Mock the Week. Matt, you don't mock the, no, I did um, Cats one. Oh, you done Cats? And I did um, Buzzcocks. Eight out of ten Cats was just terrible. I, I got there and I, I didn't understand that they all used writers. Mm. Like, I didn't know that. I don't mean... And I, and I couldn't really understand what was going on all day when everyone was like off with these people. Mm. Then I went in this room and these blokes were all talking about what sort of things you might like to say. Mm. I didn't even really understand that I was supposed to, yeah. to say those things. Bits, so, like you didn't have to do bits. Yeah. <laughs> then I kind of went out. Before you were playing at your game show. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And then as it, as it started, about 30 seconds, and I went, oh, right, I see. And it's really funny if you watch it because I'm just sort of there, right? And I then I... <laughs> So anyway, I didn't do any of them again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but then I realised there's no point trying to do those. How was them Buzzcocks? Well, you know what was sad about Buzzcocks, right? Is was it, it with Mark Lamar was hosting? No, it was Simon Amstel. Oh, and on the other team was Bill Oddie from The Goodies. Okay. Right. Now, Bill Oddie is a bit of a... bit of a He's a comedy hero of mine from yeah. childhood, you know. and um, But he's a bit um, manic, you know, uh, and he's had his problems. But on the night, he was hilarious, right? And he was really sabotaged the game. And he did all these mad, long, improvised things off, off his head. Yeah. And everyone was really laughing, right? But, and at the end, I said, the only way this is going to, I said to camera, you know, on the camera, the only way this is going to work is if you sort of chop Bill's bits up because they're too long. You have to chop them in tiny bits and then play, like, film music in between them. Or so I can't remember what I said. But anyway, I don't know if they used that, but they ended up doing that. <laughs> they pulled all his bits out and they chopped them together in slow motion and it made him look as if he was mad yeah. and that he'd ruined the night yeah. right but and that was and what they did in the edit was they pulled out all the bits when he was owning everyone else yeah. they pulled them out because he was in the chair where the loony sits you know there's a chair yeah. which would be some old mad woman from a band or yeah. some tory or something and he'd been put in the chair of the person who's to be made fun yeah. of but instead he ran the room so and it was really really unfair and and i also thought god an edit is the most dishonest construct, you know, yeah. for those things. So there's nothing I hate more or fear most in this business than the edit. Yeah, like I, uh, you know, it's it's what's the one thing that's giving me the most grievance, and yeah. and potentially blackballing me. <laughs> yeah, is the edit. Like well, I I find the edit the most like uh, you know, and it's that 
you know, it's even like recently, I'm trying to just do the live stuff. And I yeah. just like, well, what, you know, you get an opportunity. I said, I just don't want to be edited. Like this, the idea, like the idea of getting edited yeah. keeps me up. Well, I mean, you just have to get to a point where you can say, I need a say in the edit. Weirdly, the problem is, how do you get to that without doing telly? Because mm. doing telly gives you power. I mean, as you know, every time someone appears on one of these shows, their rate goes up, mm. right? So if you're prepared to go on loads of these things, Let's let's take the worst possible view of it for argument's sake. Mm. Let's suppose you have no self-respect, no integrity, and you don't care what happens to your work, so you're prepared to go on loads of chat shows and panel shows. Mm -hmm. That's that for a laugh. Mm -hmm. What happens is every time you do that, you're rewarded for your compromise financially, mm. and your rate goes up. Then you might have the power at the back end of it to be able to say, you can't edit my stuff. Mm. What they ought to do is the opposite. The first time you go on a panel show, you could get 10 grand, and the rate should go down every time you appear <laughs> until there's no incentive to do it <laughs> whatsoever, right? But, you know, that's the only way it makes sense, isn't it? Because yeah, yeah. otherwise you're you're rewarded for, like, thinking, I won't do my own thing, I'll fit mm -hmm. in with this. So you end up with this, like, just world of compromised people. My, you know. my idea of, of you and your work, and just, you know, never meeting you, but, you right. know, it's sort of knowing, knowing of you... Uh, is it's sort of like not a lack of compromise, but a, a, a moral standing is what I think, and, it's, and that's sort of like the idea of wow. you. I don't, I don't know if you, if you yeah, know, but you know that. what, right? Some of that stuff. But you do know that's the idea well, of you, right? Is that you? Have the, this... It's the idea that the person on stage thinks that, right? Yeah. But the, partly, right? You, you, you know, partly it's because I can't do those things, right? I, I would be no good on those panel shows. I haven't got loads of one-liners, and I can't learn the things the writers have written, mm -hmm. and I can't remember where you're supposed to say them. Tomorrow. You could do the Apollo. Well, I've not been asked. No, you haven't. No, so <laughs> would you do it if you was asked? Because <clears throat> um, it's a well, weird one. Because I, 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 I generally, I mean, that's why I like to ask you. Because I generally, like, I mean, talking to you, you're, you know, yeah, you know, you obviously are, it is a character on stage. I'm not, uh, yeah. you know, to an extent. I'm, yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's yeah, based yeah, on yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. I'm not so ignorant. It's like <laughs> it's just, the same. You know, you're not like the person on stage. It's but the same. Uh, it's the same. Um, but you know, I, I do wonder if you, you know, just I, I would be curious though. Would you do it if they? Well, it? I, I don't know. The problem is um, that. The audience would not know who I was, right? Not honestly, they wouldn't. But jo John Bishop mm. put me on at one of these um, uh, cancer things at the, at the at Royal Albert Hall, mm. and it was all the sorts of people on those programs, right? And then I came out, and the audience didn't know who I was mm. at all. None of them, right? And for some reason, the the screen that shows everyone, it mm. was turned off when I came on, right? <laughs> it shown like Sean Welsh and all these people. <laughs> From then, and Alan Carr and whatever and then I came out and it was turned off and I went oh that's been turned off oh that's absolutely exactly what they would do to me it? so I sort of went with that and the audience don't know who's this bloke like, why is he so angry about but if they'd known me they'd have thought yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was funny right because yeah, it was like hilarious. that's what would happen to Stuart Lee isn't it the screen yeah, would be turned yeah, off yeah, right yeah. But they thought I was like some petulant person they'd never heard of. It's <laughs> arrogant, like, why'd you deserve the yeah, screen? Yeah, I know, why'd you deserve it? So it's weird, they wouldn't, so it would be difficult to do what I do at Live at the Apollo because mm. um, the audience wouldn't know you were, right? Mm. So um, the other thing is I'd want I'd want um, to control the edit. I don't know if they do that. Mm. I wouldn't want cutaways to, if I did a joke about homosexuals, I wouldn't want a cutaway to some homosexuals. Guy wearing leather. <laughs> Well, unless I was specifically dressed up <laughs> yeah, to look yeah, like they'd just come from the Mardi Gras. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, and the other thing is that the stuff I write now, I write it to to become part of big shows. Mm. So it's quite hard to pull it out. out. The weird thing about that is, 
I try. I need to ask you now. I've met you to do loads of benefits. Is that <laughs> is that because I end up organising a lot of benefits? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, but I still always do my nineteen eighty nine open spot, basically. Yeah. From thirty years ago, because that's the only bit that's yeah. a workable ten. Really. Wow. You know. Wait, would you do the the clubs like a nice club? Well, um, because there right, is like, like you know, I know you do the long form yeah. stuff. And this that. is another thing that is like a re- I really regret it, and I'm amazed that it's happened. But what I used to do before the long tours or before mm. comedy vehicles, I would do, you know, before the new Edinburgh show, I'd do March, April, May, June, I'd do clubs two or three nights a week. Mm. Um, but what started to happen last time I tried doing that was it wasn't hugely useful because me being in a place created a level of expectation that was that unbalanced the evening in some mm. way. And other acts would complain to me that people had only come to see me so they would go badly. Whether that's true or not, I don't know, but they would say that, or it would certainly make them feel like that was the case. Mm. So I felt I couldn't really I couldn't really do it anymore. It was like and that was partly being in Edinburgh two years ago, I felt like my presence in places created problems which I would never have anticipated or believed were real, which was that, you know, you'd be walking past some free fringe venue, seven o'clock, you're not due anywhere till half eight, you think, Oh, I can see that person, mm. I don't know who they are. Mm. Love doing things like that. But you go in the room, there's ten people there. Suddenly, everyone, half of them recognise you. The other half don't know who the fuck you are. Mm-hmm. So they're going, it's that bloke. Who? Him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know who he is. <laughs> then they're, they're on the uploading it to the internet yeah, that you're there. Yeah. It creates a problem. Yeah. You've been there. You can't... I didn't ever think it would be me that couldn't be in a room because me being in the room ruins the gig. You do... Right, you do, do you like... Uh, how does it... I mean, it's, again, it sounds like I'm blowing smoke up your arse, but it's just facts of the matter. That when I say like when I was open micing, yeah, you your name was a shorthand of in terms of people who people would copy. Right. Well, I didn't. I know, I wasn't really aware of. That. But you're aware of that you you are aware of that. Like, I'm, I am aware you, of it now because people I, are like, oh, he's because there was there was yeah. a whole generation of comedians. Yeah. I'm, who well, people? I'm aware of it mainly. I read reviews of other mm. people. And it says another Stuart Lee copy or whatever. And I don't, you know. You know, I'm aware. I'm aware of it now a bit, but but also, the, uh, you know, is it, is it more surreal on a level of? Um, and I know and I'm not trying to put you yeah. in a position here. I mean, if you you know, we can stop talking about it if you want to. But does it is it is it, is it sort of like a you know? I know it's an awkward. You're comment. harder on me than you are on those white supremacists. <laughs> <laughs> we've got, we've got a couple of, listen, I can understand their ideals, but you're Stuart, mate. I've really got to break it down. <laughs> right. But no. The, because I'm not, I'm not asking you on a sort of thing of like, how does it feel to be Mr. Billy Big Bollocks? I'm asking you in the terms of how does it sort of feel that that's sort of what you've created in terms of, because I know it's like the surrealness. Because I think that's and yeah. that, that that's kind of what more what I, I battle with is surrealness of it. Like I get like, someone will come up to me and ask for a photo. That is surreal okay. as hell. Well, the thing with me you know? is it's not, it's not all pervasive, right? So this is a typical thing that will happen. You might be in a pub and someone will come over and go, can I have a photo? And you go, really? And they go, yeah. And I go, the thing is, it causes all sorts of problems. And you should. Then they might do it anyway. Mm. Then other people come over and go, should I know who you are? Because yeah, I yeah. fucking don't, right? Yeah. Like, like you've done that. So most people don't know who I am. Um, this is a classic thing that I see. In the summer holidays, I took the kids to Avebury, the Stone Circle, to look at the historic Stone Circle. And all the time we were aware of a couple about 100 yards ahead of us walking round it. One of them's recognised me and the other doesn't know who I am. And then he's getting his phone out and trying to show. Then they're having an argument about He's going, you know, no, I don't. <laughs> that happens all the time. My own family 
Right. Most of the people like me are comedy fans, right? Yeah. So when your family come to see you, unless they go and see a lot of stand-up or have yeah. ever seen any before, which most people haven't, they might assume that it's not working, that you can't do it, yeah. that you've lost control, that you've got upset, that they yeah. they tend to not... And then they talk to you about how great, really, just people that no-one thinks are great are, that they've seen. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. They think they're much better than you because yeah. they went on an office party to see them and everyone enjoyed it. Yeah. It wasn't like me where everyone was confused and suffered. <laughs> you know, it was... So from... I don't get it from anywhere else, anywhere else you know. Yeah. And um, also... You, you're, on the one hand, you're saying, "Oh, you're this, you're that." My BBC rates are 0.053 percent yeah. of what Ricky Gervais's Netflix ones yeah, yeah, yeah. are. Right, so I'm not. And, uh, and I'm, know, not, I'm not trying to say like you're this or you're that. Yeah, so it um, doesn't, it no, doesn't no, add up to anything. Really, I hear what you're saying. It's you know? not. It's not. It's not me saying like yeah. you're this or that. I'm yeah. saying this is what the even the perception is. Yeah, well, the perception. It's, it's, it doesn't. It doesn't. You know? Because I, I, I can only I can only be honest to yeah. what people like when I was yeah. open mic here, yeah. people would say, "Oh, he's copying Stuart Lee." That was right. a, a commonly used turn of phrase, you know. Yeah, but I mean, I, I, I also think that I, I'm I'm lucky in that I'm the best known of a certain school of comics, mm-hmm. you know. And I remember Sean saying to me uh, before he before he died, obviously he didn't yeah. say it, but he, <laughs> we, I did some podcast with him, and he said the problem is he went. They think they've got one of, of us now, and it's you, right? And you're on the telly doing your long stories and ideas and things, which is great. But it means the other people that do that, that space has gone. And certainly, I heard about another sort of comic of my type, you know, and they, they, were, uh, they had their BBC Two pitch turned down because the then head of BBC Two, she went, we've got Stuart Lee and... Um, uh, you know Charlie Brooker for that sort of thing, so we don't need any more like people with ideas talking about you know. So it's sort of I think I've clogged the thing. Up. So you know, really, um, that what I tried to do with alternative comedy experience that you mentioned earlier was put on all those kind of comics that are sort of a bit other. Yeah, you know, and they were great comics, and, man. And you had like you had the Tony Law, yeah, Henning Way, yeah, yeah, uh, Henning is it Henning Vane, Henning Vane, yeah, Henning yeah. Vane. and um, just and then then I, then I, people did see it and go. Oh wow! I didn't know you know those were yeah. there. Then there was a lot of sort of controversy about it after. So none of which had to do with me. Where people were going, oh well, lots of those people had been on other things and whatever. But there was, I think, it did have a sort of, it had a sort of aesthetic on some level, and you know, and I also, I'm, I mean, I'm heavily in debt to all those people because my my influences are the people I've seen on the fringe for thirty mm. years. You know, my influences are my contemporaries as well, like. Daniel Kitson and Harry Hill and Paul Sinner and great. whatever you know they're yeah, all great fantastic and, um, they're, so they're, you kind of feel like you're part of that really mm. um, but uh, I mean where, where I'm lucky is that I can probably get through to 65 writing a new tour show every couple of years and if the audience tails off by 25% every time I tour and I never do any more telly I'll still get yeah. It'll still be viable to retire. Still paying bills. Yeah, which is a really weird thing to think. You know, uh, one one thing one thing I really enjoyed you made one time, and it's because I met the guy and he's a lovely man. It's the little mini documentary about is it Phil Chippendale? Oh, Ted Chippendale. Chip- yeah, Ted yeah. Chippendale. Did you meet him? Yeah, I met him because he, 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 he used to come around the comedy cafe. Because I remember oh, I would like he used to knock around. You know, uh, so the comedy cafe was a club in Shoreditch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was in the upstairs. Right, and that's where I started out. That's why I basically. Right, um, so what sort of total year was that then? This what, mate? Wait, this was maybe. So I was I was about twenty one. No, about twenty two, twenty three. Yeah. 
I'm 27 now, so about oh, right. Yeah, a so few, about a few years ago. Few years well, ago. You turned up there, didn't yeah, you? and you'd knock around a oh, bit. Why was in London? Uh, yeah, but then uh, yeah, because I remember um, he and you, he never really went on. No, he wouldn't. He wouldn't go on. He would just knock no, around. He didn't I think like he, doing comedy. Clubs. I think he knew no. No fault oh, he, yeah. he, he knew from no yeah, fault yeah. so he would come down and he would watch from the back. Right. And uh, yeah, but anyway, it was like, and it was a really, uh, it was really, it was, it was really sweet. It was really, it was really nice. Yeah. Because well, it's it all that, that, like, talk, talking about the tree of alternative comedy yeah, yeah. and going, well, this guy is a branch. Yeah, but it's a, it's a branch that would never went yeah, anywhere. Yeah, and it was yeah. a branch that never went anywhere. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. It, and it was, and it's like, a, and you know, just, just, he used to just make people furious yeah and it was and it was but it was beautiful and yeah. it was you know and as a comedian well that's why he didn't really do, he liked to go on at places where he wasn't expected yeah, like or, wanted. Band, or wanted <laughs> yeah actually which is probably where i got the idea for the original comedy yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. vehicle idea of like be on where you'll go down badly because my favorite recordings of ted are of him going down badly because he's going down badly in a way that a comic you're going oh you're doing that so brilliantly. yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're making it sort of worse in a really my favorite bit it's where it's on an album called uh, Man in a Suitcase, and it, it's, the audience are going, Who the fuck? Who the fuck? Who the fucking hell are you? Who the fucking hell are you? And after each, he waits for it all to go, and he goes, Ted Chippington. And then they, <laughs> then they do it again, and he just answers the question each time, as if it were meant in a spirit of inquiry, which again I realise is something that I've got from him, is a treat, treat heckles. As if they were questions. Yeah, genuine not questions. As if they were, um, why don't you fuck off? Well, I've, I've, I'm contracted to be here <laughs> for, uh, you know, for 20 minutes. I can't just, yeah. can't just go. I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, because actually, what do they want? Because I kind of think if you do a put down, you're then like, oh, I'm a comedian. Yeah. And then, you know, but it's, which you can do. I mean, yeah. I've got, there's all these, some podcast blokes from, there seem to be sports presenters and they review comedy. They were one of them had watched um, Comedy Vehicle, and there's a bit where a bloke walks out, and uh, I go, I, I can't believe you're leaving. This is a live recording. I mean, my career stands or falls on this, and you, you're making me look terrible. And he's going, Why did he do that? Why didn't he go? Oh, you're going off for a wank or something? And I go, Well, <laughs> it's he, he doesn't seem to know how to deal with walkouts. Of course, I know how to do. Yeah, yeah. I've chosen to do something that's funny about me. You know. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a weird thing we've. <laughs> yeah, not anyway, I love, I love Ted. I mean, Ted, Ted, Ted was like for me was what you were saying about, um, you know, seeing, seeing things that make you want to do stuff. It was I, I saw him opening for a band, and I it made me think that you could do stand up in all sorts of ways. Because mm. I thought you, I liked comedy, but I thought I'd never be one of those like a showbiz person. Mm. And I saw him do it, and it didn't seem to be working at all. But it was really funny. I thought oh, you can do you can do whatever you want. And that's a great thing, mm. free. That's st- that is still true, isn't it, of it? Even though we, I've been moaning like an old man, oh, you can't melt ice anymore on stage mm. for an hour. You have to speak. But actually, it is still really free well, thing. I mean, I, I, I try to look at it two ways. Yeah. And I'm, this is just me as like a young comic, you yeah. know, so it, please tell me if I'm talking shit. <laughs> just be like, Jamali doesn't know what the fuck you're talking about. But there is a certain sense of, even though I like hearing, you know, and I think that, and a little part of me feels a bit sad that that it doesn't happen anymore yeah, yeah. and hearing the stories of it yeah but in the same time that stuff is is still around because it it's it's that builds the lineage and i think yeah. there's a certain there's a certain sense of there's a 
how can I put this? Okay, there's a certain sense of there. I feel sometimes there's a generational gap with comedians and of the ages. So you got younger comedians need to understand. Without the older comedians, there ain't no fucking us. Mm. And you need to show some respect for that. You know what I mean? Without them, there isn't us. They've paved the way for us. And older comedians got to realize that you know comedy changes and, and yeah. things evolve. Yeah. And I think there needs to be more. You know that 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 we're all trying to achieve the same thing. You well, know? you know who's very good at that is this um, Barry Cryer, who's like two generations before me, and mm. Barry Cryer was. A, you know, mainly a comedy writer in the 50s and 60s, and he is 80-odd now, and he has kept all over the game, you know, and he knows who everyone is, young people. And he, I've, I've met Barry yeah. Grant. Do you know, I did, a, I did a charity gig yeah. where I was the youngest person mm. by, like, 25 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was, like, Barry Cryer yeah. and all these type of rats, and he was, he was lovely. Yeah, well, he sort man. of, he's, he... He'd, Proper he, old-school you know, showbiz. He, yeah, he was sort of, he was told that he was... Um, from irrelevant when the 60s satire boom happened and then he was told he was irrelevant again when alternative comedy happened so he's and yeah. he's sort of, it's all he's but he sees it all as part of a continuum and it is really interesting talking to him because uh there were there were always things that that pass on and um you know I I sort of was of a generation where I thought you know alternative comedy 1980 was a sort of ground zero thing of bang you know it's mm. all started from scratch then you listen to Lenny Bruce from the 50s and 60s and you go right he's done loads of things that I thought I had thought up right mm. then you might then you listen to some bit of musical i started listening to a lot of max miller from the 30s right mm. there's so many things about it that are really like what we do now mm. uh, the, in fact this idea of talking to the audience at home he did that all the time he, do, he does it to imaginary people that are behind the curtain like he's talking to them about how terrible the audience out front are and i'm wow. not sure again i didn't get that from a 1930s max miller bit you know yeah. where, and in fact sometimes to amuse myself, I do those bits sort of in the voice of Max Miller and no one's ever really noticed but I do it as a private <laughs> joke. I'm doing a joke from 90 years ago, basically. Yeah, no, yeah, it just, so yeah. In fact, the musical stuff is a bit of a thing of mine because living in Stoke Newington, a lot of the 19th century comics are buried in Abney Park Cemetery oh. and uh, I like to go and look at their graves, particularly the one... <laughs> uh, let's see, I can't remember what he's called. And he's got the massive... He was huge... And he's got a um, Herbert. And he's got a massive marble pillar as high as this room, and it's all and it's got all bushes have grown round it. You can't even get to it anymore. It's got comedian written on it. It's an irrelevant thing of a forgotten man. Okay, but it's good. Great. I like I like going around there. I've got all the and when I when I'm backstage in the provincial theatres, I I try and find bills from the 19th century and think what comedians were here in 1870. Yeah. And I was sitting in um, Wolverhampton, and uh, Fred Barnes had been there. The Duke of Solioli was called, and I grew up in Solioli, so I always found that quite funny. Fred Barnes was the first out gay sort of stand-up, but mm -hmm. he wasn't allowed to be out. He had to sing funny songs about it. He used to do an act with a, uh, a marmoset uh, on a lead, uh, but he died as an alcoholic in Southend in the 30s, and he used to go around the pubs with a chicken on a lead. <laughs> trying to remind people that he'd once been the marmoset on a lead guy. Really sad story. And I was thinking, oh, he was really something when he was here. You know, he, got, he, he, he lost all his work after he was involved in a scandal for driving around with a sailor in a car and neither of them had their shirts on. That's what brought you down in that Yeah, yeah that, was, that, <laughs> that, 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 was, that was the career ender. Yeah, in 1910 or whatever. But he, um, I thought, I wonder if you can, you know, I went, I went on eBay. I was sitting in the room where he would have sat. Wolverhampton Grand Dress. I went on eBay and there was like a signed photo of him for two quid or something and yeah. I put it up in the toilet. But they're, they're all sort of there, those people. Yeah. And the sad thing is the material's lost because 
the songs are still there. You can find recordings of the songs. Earl Oakin's got loads of them on wax cylinders, but you can. What you haven't wow. got is the bits between the songs, yeah. which was the comedy. Yeah, and I, I just thank God. What did we lose? And even the eighties alternative scene. Nobody was filming it. You know, yeah. there's very little. I would love to see the old Mark Thomas tape or something like yeah. that, or like yeah. you know some of the stories you hear. Like yeah. I'd love to see the Mark Thomas. Like, people didn't have camera it. phones, and no one knew it was. You know. Yeah. It was that around the Tesla. But I just want to, um, I think we're going to wrap it up here. I just want to say, I just want to say thank you, man. And I know Thanks you're, for having I, me on. and I know you're a humble dude, but um, I do, I really appreciate your work, man. That's very kind of you. you know, I've, I mean, I've really enjoyed watching everything the last couple of days, actually, of the, particularly the, the, the stuff of talking to all these people, and then, but I like the fact that you, you stand there and listen to them, and then you think. Right, I'll go and write a routine, taking the piss out of them. But I won't say it to their face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've got guns. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not <laughs> stupid. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, man. Um, thank you so much, and thank you for coming down. So I know you're a busy man, and and I look forward to uh, seeing you more of your work, oh, and well, even we'll going see. back and look at the old stuff. So, um, if you know, I, 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 if anyone who hasn't seen Stuart Lee, number one, you need to sort that the fuck out, and you need to go watch Comedy Vehicle. Like that's probably the great starting point because I oh, think geez. that's an amazing show. So thank you so much for coming, mate. Thank really you. appreciate you, boss. Thank you. That was Stuart Lee. Uh, that it, that we done. We recorded like an hour and a half, and I think we're going to pull out the long version of that because that was great. Um, it was mad speaking to him. Uh, you know, being in the presence of experience and sort of just knowledge of comedy and sort of a real creative mind for comedy and sort of uh, uh, really taking comedy to the art, the art form of comedy. And it's you know he's he's an amazing comedian. If you haven't seen his stuff, you know check out Comedy Vehicle. It was on the BBC trying to check out the alternative comedy show they did on Comedy Central where you had great comedians down. And uh, yeah, lovely guy too. He was sporting a great beard. A very underrated beard. I should have mentioned his beard. It was a good beard. And uh, yeah, man, I'm just, I'm just, I was, you know, I just, I was just in awe, you know, listening to his ideas and his theories about comedy. And, you know, so it was definitely a me listening podcast as opposed to me talking, which uh, I, I enjoyed. Um, but yeah, the next person I've got on the podcast is Getz. So you want to check in that one. That's that. This one I'm probably most excited for. He's, uh, you know, one of the probably probably the best MCs that have, uh, this country's ever created, in my opinion. Uh, but yeah, uh, check that out. I've got Getz coming on the podcast next. And uh, yeah, catch me on tour. That's, that's, that's it, really. Come see me on the tour. I'm going to be doing, um, you know, all around the country. I'll be doing some American dates. Uh, Australia I'll be putting out soon. So yeah, come catch me on tour. Um, my name has been Jamali Man. This has been The Breakdown in association with The Hook. Jamali 9000. Jamali 9. Jamali. Jamali 9000 from Mars. Just land over Max with the computer. My wings expand on Earth. Around the universe The superhero just written a verse The J on my shirt for Jamali Never using the molly Walking down the galaxy Computers on my hand Built in like I'm a man Machine since I was growing up with children Mechanical rapper Putting a robot flow together I made a steal in any weather Disguise more than Spider-Man in a sweater Optimus way after prime Standing on top of the world I gotta shine just like my pop's new Cadillac CT6 The patch on my eye, I be Rick The lyrics are slick Like new now wave grease Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.